can subscribe and get early access to these shows by going to truthjihad.com and clicking on the subscribe at Substack button. Welcome back. This is the second hour of tonight's Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett here. I broke the fast. Hey, yeah, it's Ramadan. Weekend of Ramadan. And we're moving into the second hour of tonight's live show. show. Bringing on, well, Henry McCoe at the end of the show. And starting now with Gijin Palya. Gijin Palya is a biochemist and a leading avoidable mortality expert. And he's also an expert on comparative holocausts and genocides. Well, uh, he wrote the epitaph for Madeleine Albright. And who better to do that? Madeleine Albright, of course, famously said that, yes, we think it's worth it to kill half a million Iraqi children. What she was accomplishing by killing half a million children, we still haven't figured out. But that's not the only example of callousness uh, in high places in the West's dealings with non-Western civilians, including children, women, and uh, other human beings. And so as we're inundated with these largely spurious images of horrific human suffering in Ukraine. Yeah, there's plenty of real human suffering, but I think the big false flag stunts uh, may not be what they're purported to be. It looks like it's the uh, the Azov Nazis who are doing most of those uh, false flag spectacles. Um, we're seeing thousands killed in Ukraine, and we're up to 400,000 almost now over in Yemen alone, and many, many millions. Uh, Gijin Palya says, it's over. It's in the hundreds of millions uh, in the history of the West's uh, wars and mismanagement of non-Western countries. So does that mean that the media is racist, that they care more about white lives, that they only think the white lives matter and they've decided the Ukrainians are white? Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> Welcome, Gidjan Palya. How are you? Good Hi, Kevin. Happy Great to have you back. So... so you, you wrote this piece on, on Madeleine Albright at a moment when these atrocities, or in some cases alleged atrocities in Ukraine, are grabbing up all of the headlines, and the human suffering elsewhere, notably in Yemen, is almost completely forgotten in the Western media. And you're one of these uh, lone voices or few voices in the wilderness uh, crying out about this. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about your, your take on why the Western media pays so much attention right now to human suffering in Ukraine, completely ignores Yemen, and people in the West remain ignorant about the uh, horrors that their leaders and ancestors have perpetrated all over the world. Well, well, Kevin, in, in a word, they are racist. And, and to, to use the American slogan that black lives matter, you have to say that black, black lives, brown lives, and non-European lives, Palestinian lives, Yemeni lives, Iraqi lives matter. And unfortunately, the mainstream media are, are, are both guilty of overt racism. But they 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 don't deny the right of non-Europeans to live, but they basically basically ignore this huge mass mortality. Um, since 1950, the United Nations Population Division 
has provided detailed demographic data on every country in the world. And I have exhaustively, over the last two decades, used that data to calculate uh, infant mortality um, in every country in the world. And it totals about, since 1950, about 1,000 million uh, under five infant deaths. Uh, an absolute blot on wow. humanity. So that's a, that's a billion in the American counting. Yes, and uh, and that is just part of the part of the mortality, because avoidable mortality from deaths and violence uh, since 1950 in our sorry world totals about 1,500 million. And most of those would be children. And I would make the point, the fundamental point, that in in human societies, um, killing children is, is is just regarded as something utterly utterly appalling. In fact, so appalling that it hasn't even been listed as a prohibition uh, in the Ten Commandments. Presumably because it's so fundamentally obvious that you don't do such things. Well, that's, of course, part of the monotheistic tradition relating to uh, Abraham and his son, which many regard as a kind of a prohibition of a human sacrifice of children that was, in fact, practiced by some of the cults in the Mediterranean region at that time. Yes, yes. And that, that of course, leads to the other proposition that mainstream media will actually report violent deaths, but uh, and and they they do report violent deaths with great gusto and and because it sells newspapers and gets clicks on the web, um, but they they are absolute have an absolute moral and intellectual blind spot when it comes to. Um, Deaths of infants from imposed deprivation, uh, and 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 the reason re- reason for their absolute blind indifference is, is is fundamentally guilt because they know ultimately those that thousand million under five infants who've died since 1950 have died because of a world order that decrees that they will die. They don't decree it publicly. But the world order is there and the consequence is clear. And, 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 and that's something that I profoundly object to. And I'll, I'll, I'll go one step further, actually. I'm, I'm not holier than thou. I'm an ordinary, frail human being. Uh, but I, I did have two advantages that, uh, my family in Hungary was decimated in the, World War II Jewish Holocaust. So I was always conscious of that uh, as a child. And when I was a young man, um, I met my dear late, late wife of 52 years, uh, Zarina, who was an Indian from a British colony. And it, it's, it, it, it's very difficult to be a racist when <laughs> against black or brown people 
when your wife belongs to that category. So I, I don't know. Uh, thinking the best of me, I would have grown up, if I hadn't met Serena, to be a, a, a decent humanitarian fellow. But it is possible, if, if I hadn't met her, um, that I might have become, adopted the same sort of uh, racism that's adopted by the mainstream media. That is, ignoring what we are doing to the black and brown and non-European people of the world. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I can relate. I, I probably would have been a bit more ethnocentric if I hadn't uh, married my Moroccan wife, uh, Fatna, as well. But let's just play devil's advocate for a moment uh, here. I mean, I think obviously your your larger point is correct, but your numbers are are pretty large. And some people would probably want to argue that it isn't purely uh, the call it a global system of which theoretically somebody should be in charge. But many people would say, but wait a minute, Gideon, there's no global system that any you know one group of people really is in charge of no such thing that everything operates at a much more national and local level and that while yes there's certainly a lot of uh, western responsibility for a lot of these uh, deaths and, and avoidable deaths and suffering but that at the same time that's also the product of of local conditions that are really pretty much beyond the reach of any uh, central, say, white or European American power. And those people might, for instance, point out that, well, Gidget, in, in your email you recently sent out, you compared infant mortality rates in all of these different countries, and the ones that have been decimated by Western imperialism often had much higher infant mortality rates. You compared them to Japan, which has a very, very low infant mortality rate, and so that was sort of the touchstone of, of what a really well-run society could achieve. But Japan was was has been under the gun of the Western imperialists for a long time. And the only reason that it achieved many of the things it did achieve was by its pulling together to repulse the Western imperialists. And then, of course, it got uh, nuked and and firebombed, uh, holocausted, in a sense, in World War Two. And then it managed to rebuild itself. And I just I don't think we can really congratulate the American occupation of Japan for the low Japanese infant mortality rate. I think we can congratulate the Japanese people themselves. Uh, They seem to be very, very capable, competent, hardworking people who've decided to organize a a very super organized society that's produced that result. And if we look at other countries, um, it's quite likely that their failures to lower their infant mortality rates to the level of Japan's are not purely the failures of the Western imperial system, but are also uh, the products of simply the way things are done in those particular societies. They just may not be as gifted at organizing themselves as the Japanese are. So uh, I'm sure you you get the drift of, of my devil's advocacy here. And so how would you respond to those who would make that argument? Well, if you, if you consider the 1500 million people who have died avoidably from violence and deprivation since 1950, uh, about 95% of those deaths have occurred in the developing world that has been mostly racked by, uh, European hegemony or outright colonial occupation. And, uh, and Japan uh, is an interesting example of where the occupier is interested in economics 
and and uh, people people doing well economically, and uh, the post-war uh, economic miracle in Japan is is something marvelous, and through the energy of the Japanese, and certainly the American uh, occupiers had 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 no no objection to uh, uh, Japanese economic advance, um, but. There, for the rest of the world, I mean, for the developing world, um, there is a a problem because under under colonialism they were suppressed. Then, having gained their independence, um, they were subject to neo-colonialism and hegemony, and that that has been the real killer. And in fact, in my book, which is one of the first and second editions of my book. Body count, global avoidable mortality since 1950. I, when you look at all the data from every country in the world, the thing that stands out is that, is that people, people, uh, when they're governing their own kind, uh, are far nicer to their own kind than they are to occupied people. Um, and I mean, there's a very good example of that given given in Palestine, where the uh, per capita GDP for Israelis is about fifty thousand and uh, dollars, and the per capita GDP for the occupied Palestinians is about three thousand dollars. And when you look at the infant mortality, not surprisingly, you find that the occupied uh, Palestinian infant mortality is about four times that in that in Israel. And uh, so a fundamental point is that uh, the, the occupier doesn't particularly care for the people that it, it is occupying. And uh, a, 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 in international law, there's a, a, a very clear statement in relation to the obligations of the occupier And Articles 55 and 56 of the Geneva Convention in relation to the protection of civilian persons in time of war, which is otherwise known as the Fourth Geneva Convention, it states, these articles state quite unequivocally that an occupier is obliged, inescapably obliged, to provide um, food, and medical, life-sustaining food and medical services to the conquered people, quote-unquote, to the fullest extent of the means available to it. So countries, typically Western countries, that have been occupying um, uh, other countries in the last 70 years, and and America leads the way, um, are inescapably bound by the Fourth Geneva Convention but have clearly been violating that that convention. But I would go one step further, because, Gavin, you would appreciate the notion of perhaps of the natural law as human beings. And the natural law would 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 say that 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 demand of the Fourth Geneva Convention should really also apply to countries that, while they're not the, the actual occupiers, of another country, nevertheless have exert hegemony. So to be fair to Americans and your American <laughs> listeners, uh, in terms of culpability or complicity 
in these uh, 1,000 million under five infant deaths since 1950. Well, you could argue it's very unfair to say America is responsible for all of them. Very unfair because you consider all the marvelous medical advances made by Americans and the American Peace Corps and so on and so forth. But you can look at it, if you wanted to put a number to it, you could say that the United States consumes about 25% of the world's resources. So if we wanted to put a, 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 a number to it, we could assess the US as being responsible for 25% of this carnage through hegemony as well as in, in, in invasion. Um, and... Uh, I suppose, I suppose a, a, a nice way of describing this, if you've seen the movie Titanic and you remember how the, the penniless Irish immigrants were locked, locked in their cabins and drowned in the sinking ship and while the rich people uh, survived and, and, and got into boats. Um, well, I, I, I think the, sa- the same thing is happening today. And in fact, you can, what I'm quite often say, um, in, in, in relation to, uh, avoidable mortality today, we're about, um, today about, um, seven and a half million people die avoidably from deprivation each year on spaceship Earth with the United States in charge of the flight deck. Now that, that United States control of the flight deck is, has been challenged now by China. And, and I think R- Russia is, uh, is kind of rushing the flight deck, even as we speak. Well, it's, it's, it's not really a serious contender. It might have the nuclear weapons, but it only has a GDP similar to that of Italy. Right. So but it's, it's, it's playing a, a crucial role in organizing the other passengers uh, on Spaceship Earth to uh, overthrow the the U.S. or throw the U.S. out of the captain's seat and set up some kind of uh, committee <laughs> to, to run the spaceship. Well, possibly, but I, I personally don't believe they're a serious contender. China is really the only, uh, the, the only serious contender. And in fact, again, Something that is utterly, well, I don't know utterly, but it's largely ignored by mainstream media coverage of what's going on in Ukraine. There is absolutely no doubt that the Russian invasion is a war criminal act. It's a monstrous, unbelievably awful act. But one of the major you, is, is that, uh, but you think it's, it's worse than the ongoing U.S. war on Russia that one came to a head with the 2014 CIA coup d'etat installing, uh, U.S. controlled fanatical anti-Russian racists in power in Ukraine and then going into a plan to arm Ukraine with first strike hypersonic weapons, uh, 30 seconds from Moscow to finish off the U.S. plan to uh, hit Russia with the first nuclear strike? I, 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 I Clearly, the Ukraine war has been provoked, thoroughly provoked by the United States from mm-hmm. about 1991 onwards, and in particular from 2014 onwards. Uh, so there's massive uh, U.S. and NATO provocation, but that doesn't justify the war. The war is nevertheless a... Uh, a, a war, a war criminal act. However, the thing that's missing from mainstream media 
commentary or largely missing is that because they they just refuse to look at what's going on in in the developing world again black lives matter that the major consequence of the russian invasion already has been substantial increases in the price of vegetable oil and of wheat in egypt has already reacted by capping the price of bread now for 25 years because my wife was of bengali and bihari origin from northeastern india where her family came from i've been writing endlessly about a massive famine man-made famine in bengal during world war 2 in which 6 to 7 million people were deliberately starved to death by the british with the complicity of my own country australia that had huge wheat stores but refused to supply them to its starving ally india and th- that horrible reality has been wiped out of history and what killed those people was essentially the price of rice when it rose four times those who couldn't buy it simply starved and now i've been writing about this because i can see with climate change this is a huge prospect for the world and i've been warning about that for 25 years but <clears throat> at the moment uh, uh, the, the really massive consequence a likely consequence it's probably already happening uh, in the developing world but the massive threat of famine uh for the developing world as the price of wheat and of vegetable oils and of oil gas that's that that's needed to drive agricultural production goes up that 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 that's a, so far thousands have been killed uh in the Ukrainian uh, invasion by Russia but literally millions of people are going to die as a result of this economic um uh, factor of the of the increase in the price of in the price of wheat um uh in 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 recent years the price of wheat already increased by by a factor of about 2 but the but the uh, russian invasion and the economic dislocation and the cutting off of ports and so on and so forth is already having an impact it'll probably take several years and demographic analyses similar to what i've been doing on avoidable mortality that will be able to tell the world about this immense tragedy that is now unfolding that that's the real crime is the is the increase in the price of food that 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 people on the on the on the margin absolutely depend on Mm-hmm. And do you blame Russia primarily for that, or would you argue that those who provoked the war, um, rather than negotiating, especially after Russia issued its ultimatum and drew its red lines, are at least equally responsible? I I, I would certainly say, well, the, Amer- the Russians are clearly guilty of a war crime by invading a peaceful country. Just look at these. look at the images of a peaceful the, country they were, they've been shelling civilians in the donbass uh, for what seven years for sure for sure but uh, it takes two to tango and i i certainly agree with you that the us and nato are heavily responsible for provoking 
the the Russian invasion. That that is clear. And one aspect of this, which uh, uh, I've I've known ever since as a child, I was aware of uh, after the World War One, Ukraine was ruled uh, just for a year or so under Simon Petlura, who was an anti-Jewish, anti-Semite, and involved in Jewish pogroms. And eventually he was defeated by the by the Soviets, uh, and then he fled to Paris, where where he was assassinated by a, a, a Jewish activist. But during the second during the Second World War, under Bandera, um, many Ukrainians collaborated with the Nazis. And after 2014, with with a neo-Nazi and actually Israeli um, uh, and U.S.-backed overthrow of the pro-Russian government, um, throughout Ukraine, there were statues erected to Bandera, this Nazi sympathizer and collaborator, and roads named after him and a general glorification. And, and in 2014, and now in the Ukraine, the, the, you've probably heard of the Azov Brigade. That's uh, that's the major uh, neo-Nazi militia in Ukraine. So there is there is that very ugly side to to the Ukrainian resistance. Yes, it's uh, it's quite a mess. So what should be done about it? If Spaceship Earth, in fact, were run by a competent pilot. Uh, who was going to try to react to the looming wheat shortages that could be face, you know, leading many to be facing starvation. What kind of policies could help that situation? Uh, do we need to somehow be consciously directing food supplies to the places that need it most? Well, the first requirement that I'm, I'm absolutely totally opposed to any sort of violence the first thing <coughs> that has to happen is for an immediate ceasefire and, and peace in, in U- Ukraine and a, a sensible negotiation and coupled with an international move to make sure that the, 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 the price rises in relation to, to, to what Americans call gas, uh, we call petrol, um, in Australia, uh, and, and oil, and, and natural gas and wheat and vegetable oils are contained by by international consensus, conscious of the lessons of history. History ignored yields history repeated. I've been writing for 25 years about this massive threat that either through climate change or through war can lead to uh, price rises that kill people silently and 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 non not observed by the by the mainstream media. I remember in 1985 there was a massive massive famine in Ethiopia, and it was basically the people who couldn't afford to buy the food starved. I happened to be living just for a short period in Covent Garden in London, and in the Covent Garden market you could buy um, watermelons flown in by jet planes from Ethiopia. At exorbitant prices, at the same time as Ethiopians in their millions were 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 starving and dying, so there, there needs to be sensible international uh, action to control these prices. I have long advocated a third arm of the United Nations, 
which is a notion of a world parliament where you have one person, one vote, and it's largely concerned with economic and sustainability matters. And if we had such an organisation, that would be absolutely crucial to determining that people in the developing world who are not involved in this disaster in any way should not suffer from starvation because because of a fight in Europe between NATO and Russia. Well, the international institutions right now are seem like they're they're falling apart and uh, getting worse and becoming more politicized rather than getting better. But I guess we can always uh, hold out hope uh, for some point in the future. I, uh, although, of course, the clock is ticking. Well, thank you so much, uh, Gideon Palia. It's always uh, wonderful to hear you. It's it kind of cheers me up to hear your common sense and your uh, humanity. And that, on the other hand, uh, you're facing the hard facts uh, can be kind of depressing, too. So it, it all evens out. <laughs> but it's, it's in any case, it's wonderful to talk with you. Keep up the great work and God bless. Thanks for having me, Kevin. All the best. OK, bye bye. That's uh, Gijin Palia, the Australian biochemist, avoidable mortality expert and uh, comparative Holocaust and genocide expert. He's the author of U.S. Imposed Post-9-11 Muslim Holocaust and Muslim Genocide. I wrote the introduction for that book. Well, moving on to a different point of view, Henry McCoe is uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, Internet resources and has been for quite some time. Uh, he, nobody could accuse Henry of pulling his punches, and he certainly didn't pull any punches in his recent provocation entitled Russia versus West men versus femmes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's provocative, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, let's see if we have Henry on the line. Henry, are you there? Absolutely. <clears throat> oh, great. Great to have you back. It's been, it's been a few years. Yeah. Um, you know, this, uh, no, this, it's not, uh, and Henry, we don't need your video, uh, so you, you can just click click the, the audio microphone or whatever it is, to, or the, click the video signal to turn off your video, so we end oh. up with a good small file. Although it's good to see you, good to see you and, and your background there, and uh, it's I uh, am I okay. am I at liberty to divulge which country my wife says you're in? Sure. Yeah, she says you're in, in Mexico. Esta verdad? Absolutely. Hey. Well, I'd, I'd love to talk more about that at some point. Uh, yeah. You're, you're an I, exile. I, uh, yeah. I, I sort of compare the <clears throat> Russian um, or the uh, Western reaction to the Russian invasion of Ukraine to uh, a man telling a woman that he's breaking up with her. And um, and she goes ballistic. Uh, she throws all his clothes out the window. She breaks his uh, records. She keys his sports car. And she absolutely goes nuts. She wins the propaganda war. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She comes up with, uh, suddenly comes up with the fact that he's been uh, sexually abusing their uh, right, children. Right. All kinds of false accusations. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so in many ways, it's uh, uh, the, this is a uh, battle between uh, men, um, healthy heterosexual men, and um Men who think they're women and act like women. And that was the theme of uh, my article, Men versus Femme. And it's pretty funny that it's, it's so politically incorrect. 
Uh, I mean, I, I can imagine that, you know, a lot of, some of my, even my listeners might be ready to get out their torches and pitch, pitchforks and try to <laughs> track you down on Twitter or it's, something. It's true though. It, it, it just, uh, radiates truth. It clarifies everything. Yeah, we're not even supposed to admit there's a difference between men and women anymore, it seems. It's uh, it's really gotten strange. I mean, I think you, and you were out ahead of this, Henry. You were one of the first people um, paying attention to these issues back before it got as crazy as, as, as it is now. Did you, did you think it would get this crazy? No, I didn't. Um, but uh, one must never uh, underestimate our um, our masters. Yeah, it's uh, like. I guess it's a huge improvement in Florida now that they're they're banning the the worship of transsexuals uh, for grades below third grade. So I guess <laughs> in fourth grade they bring it in. Yeah, you think I'm radical? Look at DeSantis letting uh, you know letting uh, three year I mean five year olds off the hook. Yeah, and, and they're out to lynch him for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, these people are crazy, but it's, uh, you know, in the wider picture of things, it's the overthrow of uh, sanity. It's the over overthrow of Christian civilization. It's over the overthrow of logos, as your as our friend uh, e. Michael Jones says. Yeah, he's he's actually going to be the false flag weekly news co-host tomorrow. So people can catch that 11 to noon Eastern on um well just go to truthjihad.com and click on the false flag weekly news link and you'll probably find that you can watch e michael jones talking about that yeah i think he uh he's a, a fan of yours uh and so so henry you think that russia is really making a break with with the sexual uh, craziness of the west as well as with the petrodollar empire yeah i don't think uh the uh western reaction would be as extreme as it is if this was not a genuine break uh, with the New World Order um, agenda. And uh, everyone, you know, and, and uh, they've shifted all their emphasis from uh, um, COVID to uh, Ukraine now. Uh, so in a sense, we're, you know, getting a bit of a, a reprieve, a reprieve. Yeah, and, and that makes me, uh, I, I can't resist asking, did you get stuck in Mexico because you can't get back to Canada without getting jabbed and, and your nose poked and all that sort of thing? Or uh, did did you just decide to get out of there while the getting was good? Or what's what's the story? I have it so many friends who live in Mexico. I, um, I could uh, I, I could see this coming. I didn't see, um, I didn't see the COVID coming, but I could see, uh, well, wait a sec. Um, I, yeah, I could see them closing the borders and forcing people to vaccinate. So that I got out in December of uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Mexico was apparently one of the best countries in terms of not too terrible national COVID restrictions, I understand. Well, it's, it's hard to say because uh, they certainly are going through the motions um, there's mass vaccination, and uh, uh, 90% of the people I see are wearing masks. It's really infuriating because I have more, Even now? Even now. And it's infuriating because hey, I... local. Yeah. I have a lot of, res, you know, kind of respect for uh, for them, but not 
but it's kind of undermined by this uh, by this conformity. Yeah, yeah, it, it does seem that pieces of cloth are, are becoming a symbol of conformity. I remember after 9-11, it was the stars and bars American flag that everybody was waving. Uh, and then, you know, with COVID, it became the mask. Uh, and now it's the Ukraine flag. I mean, what will they think of next? What what piece of cloth could they possibly come up with uh, for their next stunt? Um, I'm drawing well, a blank. You know, there are two... Um Two great questions that are still haven't been answered is um, one is how serious um, are these vaccines? Are they going to be as devastating as many people predict? And, you know, that's a huge question. And uh, there are signs that uh, they they definitely could be. Um, And I don't have to tell you they're talking about how that destroys your immune system. Right. So that's one big question. The second question is, um, is um, Putin part of a charade designed to uh, start a nuclear war? In other words, isn't that, is that the intention? And we'll know after the nuclear war if it was, uh, if it was a charade or not. Um, well, if we're around to know it. Yeah, if we're around to know it. If the Rothschild survived or not. If the Rothschild survived, you know the whole thing was a charade. <laughs> yeah, well, Ellen Brown was suggesting as much. She brought up that uh, prediction from, uh, what was it called? There, there was that uh, supposed uh, think tank or something that uh, had the global population figures for 2030, and the U.S. was down to something like like 40 million or something like that, uh, indicating a gigantic population collapse. Yeah. Deagle.com. Deagle, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so who's Deagle? Neither Ellen nor I have the faintest idea who this Deagle is, and we wonder whether it's for real or whether that's kind of a a hoax. Well, um, I've heard it described as some kind of a a website with uh, deep state connections, so it's hard to say. I'm comforted by the fact that uh, Mexico's population isn't... uh, isn't uh, uh, designated to be reduced at all. Uh, yeah, so that's going to be. I, I feel safe here, and I invite you guys all down, as because because uh, that you know food is becoming an issue, and food here is plentiful, fresh, and cheap. Like mm. I mean, I filled a a, a um, basket full of uh, vegetables and fruits and pecans today for ten dollars Canadian. That's like eight dollars American. Well, so be careful. You, you might talk be, into it. It may not be nuclear war. It may be starvation. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to see how the uh, U.S. would lose that many people, given its uh, wealth and power and all of that. But hey, uh, pride goes before a fall. Uh, and so, yeah, Mexico actually sounds kind of good to me right now. I'm. Uh, you know, after being disgusted with the COVID propaganda for two years and now being, if anything, even perhaps more disgusted with the anti-Russia propaganda, uh, I'm starting to feel like I might be more comfortable uh, someplace else. Well, the great thing about Mexico, one of the great things about Mexico is uh, there's, there's still not, um, there's still a difference between men and women. You know, women are women and men are men. And, uh, and yeah, isn't that crazy? And uh, and the difference is seen by the fact there are lots of children and lots of families and the families 
a family is a very strong institution here. It's really the probably the defense people have against uh, poverty. And, um, you know, it's just uh, just socially a, a much healthier environment because uh, it's not the target of the um, social, the Illuminati social engineers. They're, they're not out to dispossess and destroy uh, Mexico or they're, they're out to dis, dispossess and destroy the, the West. So why are they ignoring Mexico? Well, I, I, it, I don't know. I guess, well, I would, first of all, Mexico may be down the list, but uh, it's just, it's obviously not the priority for some reason. Maybe it's because, uh, maybe it's because uh, 70% of Mexicans are pretty poor. Yeah, maybe so. I was interested to see that Mexico apparently has it's still on the list of friendly countries. Uh, they haven't joined the sanctions on Russia. So Mexico will be able to continue to buy Russian stuff if they need it in whatever currencies, you know, rather than having to pay rubles. And that is kind of interesting that, you know, you, a lot of geopolitical realists would say, that a weaker country that's right there on the border of a stronger country, such as, say, Ukraine vis-a-vis Russia or Mexico vis-a-vis the USA, should be very, very careful about provoking its neighbor. But, hey, the Mexicans must have some guts to uh, refuse to jump on the sanctions bandwagon. I was just reading that Mexico is once again uh, the number one trading partner of the United States. And I think the United States derives uh, quite a benefit from this relationship because Mexican labor is so much cheaper. Um, and uh, maybe uh, there's a good reason not for, for the United States not to jeopardize that relationship. Yeah, maybe they, they can't, you know, they have some limit to how many fights they can pick at once, although I'm, it's a pretty high limit. You know, they've alienated China and Russia and Iran and, and everybody else, but maybe it's not worth messing with Mexico at this point. Uh, so how uh, about the Hazaria issue? Um, the you know there's a whole theory of uh, Jews coming from Hazaria, the Jewish kingdom of the Middle Ages. Arthur Kessler wrote about that, and there are some claims that this is related to the way that you know, European Jewry has been, uh, let's say, disproportionate uh, in the Illuminati as well as other uh, high-level power places. Of course, that's your area of expertise. So, what, what's your take on Hazaria, which is well, I, uh, I refer your listeners to um, an article um, entitled uh, NATO is Kazaria in Drag. <laughs> uh, Provocative because, as always. Uh, yeah, because um, because in fact, uh, the whole Ukrainian um, army was trained by NATO. Um, I mean, Ukraine is NATO, even though it's not officially that. And um, and you probably heard that a lot of NATO uh, generals and uh, and advisors were uh, were captured um, because it, it because it's essentially because essentially uh, NATO is Kazaria and Kazaria is the uh, whole uh, uh, Kabbalist Jewish Rothschild uh, enterprise which is you know which is designed to uh, Destroy every independent nation and uh, generally enslave humanity. 
I mean, there could be no, there's no doubt about that. And uh, I refer your uh, listeners to NATO's Kazarian Drag uh, because it contains um, it contains uh, some quotations from the uh, Kabbalist uh, uh, leader um, Mendel Schneerson, who said, uh, "Looking back in history, it must be admitted that these lands, Ukraine, are the ancient uh, ancestral lands of Jewish Kazaria." That is Israel, captured by by the Russians in the 10th century. The Russians are temporary guests on these lands and are subject to eviction. We must return and build the great Kizaria, the Jewish state, on these fertile lands. The same way as 50 years ago we created Israel, squeezing the Palestinians out. So the real national Jewish homeland is the Ukraine, not Israel. And you quote Rabbi Schneerson, the Chabad uh, quasi-Messiah, saying things about Slavs that kind of reminds me of Hitler, only, of course, Hitler wasn't quite this blunt about uh, his plans for genocide of the Slavs, taking over Ukraine and parts of Russia uh, and colonizing it with Germans. Now, Schneerson, it sounds like he's planning to do the same thing, except instead of the Germans doing it, it's going to be the Jews exterminating the Slavs. I mean, how how bizarre. I hadn't known about that. Um, where, where did you find that material? Um, about uh, about five years ago, uh, I came across, I can't remember, I came a- across this speech that, um, that was reported in a uh, Ukrainian newspaper, but um, it was just a happen- happenstance, but it certainly is revealing, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, terrifying, really, you know, because it seems that these weird and in some cases satanic offshoots of Judaism are very much right in the you know the heart of the Illuminati enterprise, and this uh, Chabad movement is uh, very powerful in Russia too, isn't it? And so, how could he get away with saying this kind of stuff? And how could Chabad be so tolerated in Russia? Uh, we've seen pictures of of Putin giving awards to the Chabad rabbis in Russia, and they're all dancing and things like that. Uh, why does Russia tolerate people who are planning to exterminate them? Well, that's it, and that's what uh, what fields, fuels our suspicion of Putin and Russia, because he obviously has a uh, close connection with these um, Habadniks. So there's a, there's just two answers. One, he was basically just playing along, playing the game, you know. Play. He was in the World Economic Forum too. He's been kicked out. But basically playing the game, playing the game while he build up his nuclear uh, forces. And I'm hopeful that that's the case, that he was just playing the game. And um, and now um, he's put a stop to it because I can't see any um, any any man with an ounce of nationalist national pride. And in his case, Russian pride, uh, allowing his country to be destroyed, which is obviously the agenda on his watch. So that's what I hope is the uh, the truth of the matter. But uh, as you say, all these pictures of him with these Habadniks and the Habadniks claim they adopted him as a child and so on, uh, gives, um, gives rise to suspicion. Now, let's say, in fact, he is acting out a Habad um, charade and Habad agenda. Well, in that case, 
uh, the agenda must be to start a nuclear war because that would be the great um, uh, the great uh, creative destruction, which is the uh, Chabad uh, Kabbalist uh, philosophy, which is they have to basically wipe out the old order, which is uh, besmirched with uh, Christian decency and uh, and uh, touches of reality and God, of course, which is now who is now unmentionable. And uh, that's, you know, nuclear war is the fastest way to do it. Maybe they decide that this uh, vaccine will not kill enough people fast enough. And uh, so maybe this is the uh, uh, Kabbalist agenda. And, and if Putin is a part of it, then uh, we can look forward to a nuclear war, which is another reason to get out of the Northern Hemisphere and, and the West. But certainly right. both Russia and the West will be destroyed. Well, that's uh, what Sheikh Imran Hussein has been saying. He's the world's leading Islamic eschatologist. I got to study with him for a month in Malaysia uh, back three years ago. He says that the Melhama, or the Great War, which will kill the majority of people uh, on Earth, is coming pretty soon, and that it will involve Russia. He thinks Russia will win it. And, of course, that would explain the Deagle.com population figures, although I don't know if Russia's hypersonic missiles are quite that good. But Oh, they've any- got – I've read that they've got missiles that can wipe out an area the size of France. Hmm. Well, that certainly could reduce uh, the population. Uh, well, moving on to more pleasant thoughts, how about the, the Christian resurgence in Russia? And that might be one of the things that's bothering some of, of these Hazars or whoever it is. Uh, it, it does seem that there's a lot, there are a lot of these neoconservative ethnically Jewish types who are behind the Russophobia, the provoking Russia and the unleashing of this war, Victoria Newland and all of her friends. Uh, and they may be annoyed that Russia is returning to its Christian roots. Uh, so to what extent do you think that that could be the case? And if so, uh, could, could the, Russia the, actually end up the, uh, the Jewish world, the Jew world order basically is against any, all nations, all families, all races, and all religions. Basically, they just want to reduce people to uh, faceless drones, who slaves really, who do their bidding. Mm-hmm. And that's really the philosophy behind Agenda 2030. And uh, so it doesn't matter, uh, uh, it, you know, whether they're Christians or not. I mean, I mean, they are basically the enemies of humanity, and they're in charge. And that's uh, they're in charge of uh, basic of our banking system, our armies, our media. I mean, it's a very grim situation. But people, but we haven't even. Uh, it, the crazy thing is, people haven't uh, awakened to the uh, to how dire our situation is. Yeah, well, they probably don't see it in you know their ordinary lives, and then there's so much fear porn on the internet that you know who knows what to really believe. You know, people get a little free zone as they doom scroll, and then they you know go back to to eating their junk food, going to work or telecommuting, whatever they're doing these days. But yeah, do you think the Illuminati is is behind the uh, extreme hatred right now? It, it strikes me that the you know the media is whipping up extreme Russophobia and uh, promoting hatred of Russians, and the Ukraine has these anti-Russian neo-Nazi types in positions of power. And now all of Ukraine seems to be murderously anti-Russian. We're seeing all of these kinds of atrocities against Russians. 
and against Russian-speaking Ukrainians, many of them then remarketed as false flags. Is there some kind of, of uh, Illuminati satanic uh, mind control game going on that's inciting this hatred? Um, I'm just reminded of um, of uh, the world in the uh, late 1930s, uh, where they basically the Jews were pounding the pounding the drum for a war against uh, Nazi Germany. Well, Russia's in that position now. Judea declares war on Russia. Absolutely, that's what that's what we're seeing, um, and uh, you know I think um, there is a good chance of nuclear war, especially if that's the capitalist agenda. If it's not, I think uh, Russia can just uh, exercise restraint, and uh, all of these policies will backfire on the West um, in, in tremendously. I mean. They're incurring huge losses, like Shell announced today. They're, I think they lost $50 billion by pulling out of Russia. I mean, you know, you can multiply that many times for all the companies that have been pulled out. Right. So right. I, Russia I, seems I hope, to be strengthening its position. That Russia will exercise restraint because I think, uh, I think the West, the, uh, Kazaria, which is the, which is the West, in drag, um, uh, wants to provoke Russia into starting this war. And uh, but if Russia holds out, exercises restraint, the whole thing is going to rebound against the West, and they're just going to have egg all over their face. And um, you know, and uh, as the midterm elections come in November, uh, we're going to have rhinos in power instead of. Uh, lunatic uh, demon rats, which is what I call them, are essentially communists. Are the rhinos really any better? Well, you know, I mean, my, <laughs> my line is false. They save the kindergartners, but not the third graders. Exactly. My line is false opposition is better than no opposition. And so far, I, I see practically no opposition. Yeah. Well, I'm here in Wisconsin where Ron Johnson uh, did some courageous things around COVID. Uh, when he when he first unseated Russ Feingold, I wasn't sure I liked him. You know, I, I still kind of liked Russ Feingold for being a closet 9/11 truther, but I guess he didn't have the guts to really stand up and do anything about it. But Ron Johnson's turned into a really interesting guy. So yeah, there's a case of some you know dubious opposition being better than no opposition. Um, absolutely. I mean, what are you know? I mean, compare Trump with Biden. I mean. Trump is false opposition, but he's a hell of a lot better than Biden. Well, refreshing in certain ways and uh, hideous in others. <laughs> what, you know, oh, yeah. Can't ask I, no, I, I blame Trump um, for throwing the election to he took a fall, just like a, just like in, in those wrestling matches that he uh, used to uh, sponsor or participate in. I mean, he took a fall. Whoever his responsibility as president was to make sure that the enemy wasn't counting the vote. Yeah, well, they have taken a fall, but they, they, they're still uh, still lynching him and his followers for it. Well, Henry, we hit the end of the hour. It's the bumper music. I want to talk to you some more, though, and, and maybe I'll contact you personally about Mexico. I might want to come down and join you there. Uh, I'd, love, I'd love to see you here. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Take care, Henry. It's been um, great, Kevin. All right. Bye for now. Bye.